This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Howdy. What are we talking about today, Puka? We're taking a bit of a different direction today as we have a theme episode. I think this might be our first proper, like, theme episode uh, on the topics of queerness and or kinship in Changeling the Dreaming. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Well... <laughs> it's a big topic so yeah i guess it's important first to kind of define the terms that we're using here and how we're using them so queerness in particular full disclosure among other things i work in academia i teach a variety of liberal arts courses and social science courses one of which is queer theory so i'm going to try and keep a lot of the theoretical stuff out of this because i don't think it's entirely relevant but generally speaking, when we're using the term queerness as opposed to gay or LGBT or one of the other sort of terms that are out there, I'm using it at least as an umbrella to talk about non-normative ways of being in relation to gender and sexuality in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's within the context of the heteronormative framework we live in, where the expectation is, oh, sex and gender are the same. You're either male or you're female. The default is to be heterosexual, et cetera, et cetera. So queerness has a concept kind of exploding that a little bit. And kinship, I mean, there's blood kinship in terms of your blood family and genetics and all of that, but then also the other forms of social ties that form within communities. Yeah, And there's one thing even there, like, I know a lot of adopted people. So even Mm -hmm. talking about blood or genetics kind of skews this too there's a different relationship from the people you who raised you versus the exactly genetic donor yeah and there's lots of a lot of that in my uh my own family as well yeah so yeah that's our starting point Mm -hmm. um but in terms of other starting points i suppose part of the reason why i wanted to do this episode and other people seemed to respond to it when we ran the poll about upcoming theme episodes So for me and my own sort of coming to terms with queer identity, it happened around the same time that I was getting into Changeling. I think it was eighth grade when I got the second edition core book or the summer between eighth and ninth grade, maybe. And at the time I was really, I was starting to have all of these feelings, you know, and arriving in high school and that whole environment Mm -hmm. (laughs) was, uh, was an experience. And it was, I'm going to go full grump for this episode. <laughs> Just, I think it might be difficult for younger generations now to understand in the days before widespread internet use, how significant finding a book or a movie or a TV show could be in terms of representation. Like when I, when I think about Changeling as a media item through which one can read queerness, it was probably one of three things in my entire life that did that. Mm. So that gave it an outsized importance for me because there wasn't a whole media landscape representing different forms of queerness for me to draw on. That I think is part of why I latched onto it so much as a game and as a setting. Okay. But even within Changeling, the way that queerness was represented, I would even say it was a little bit different than a lot of the other stuff that was out there at the time. So like, In terms of the tropes that you see in films, TV shows, etc., you have things like queer tragedy or there's that one promiscuous person or, you know. And when characters show up in Changeling who are gay or lesbian or some other form of queer, it's not necessarily the centerpiece of their identity. You know, Mm -hmm. we had characters like um, Hector and Sam from Immortalize the Toy Box who are the couple that run the gay club in San Francisco. And it's mentioned, but it's not like that's their whole character. And that was really refreshing. Later on in Fool's Luck, slight spoiler, we have the narrator Julia Spencer Drake from House Fiona and how she over the course of 
writing in character, the book Fool's Luck, kind of falls for Marina the Satyr. Again, it's just, it's there. It's not particularly highlighted. It's not backgrounded. It's just part of the story. And I chalk that up to the fact that there were queer writers and developers and presumably playtesters involved in creating Changeling. Yeah. So that there is that sort of background thread as well. Yeah. And, and that's similar to my, kind of similar to my experience. There's also with Changeling, not just the whole glamour banality. This is actually discussed fairly heavily on that other podcast, Walking Away from Arcadia, but the whole glamour banality dichotomy fitting into a queer experience mm-hmm. lens. There, there's a lot going on there. It's not exclusively queer, <laughs> but right. Right, it right, right, fits right. well. And, and it fits for like the older meaning of queer or whatever really fits <laughs> there, right? Yeah. Like the out kind of well, an, and the fairy connection as well yeah like the <laughs> semi-invisible outsider but yeah yeah it's it's literally a game about how you're hiding your true self from an oppressive world that threatens to snuff you out and engaging with yeah. a sometimes hidden subculture yeah in the process of doing that and and so i have a multifaceted <laughs> identity and that fits a lot of those facets for me not just mm-hmm. my sexuality or gender or whatnot it's it's all over the place on that for me so yeah, and it's when I talk about looking at the game through a queer lens, I mean, that's the primary mm-hmm. thing that I focus on is that aspect of it. Because particularly as, again, going into high school, someone who was not comfortable with their identity and kept it deep, deeply under wraps for a while, that notion of, you know, the, the promise of being seen by others who were like you was such a a liberating idea you know Mm -hmm. and i remember when i first got onto the white wolf forums back around that time so 2000 probably that was one of the first occasions i had to talk with other queer people in the world Mm -hmm. i mean there were friends of mine in school who later also came out and but at the time we were all deeply like Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and and private about our our identities so i didn't realize I wasn't cishet in high school like mm-hmm. I thought I was despite having gone on a date with a guy uh, like I my mom had a very active social life she was involved in community theater a lot when I was young and then got into like science fiction fantasy conventions and whatnot and running those and I, and I came all tagged a lot, a lot for that too and then like I got into LARPing near the end of high school and those are all spaces where a lot of people are out. So, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what I've always been. It's so like, even in, like, I got into Changeling late high school, that, that still was introducing me to, like, I, it It really fit me for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But it was like, almost like I went through my chrysalis over several years or something, if you do. do <laughs> maybe, maybe all the way up into my 30s, if you count other some things, uh, or 40s even. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like I'm still discovering things about myself <laughs> as I get yeah. older. People think of it as a one and done process, and it never is. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a thing changing. Maybe it doesn't do so, right? But mm. so, yeah, that's sort of been my thing. But like, like in my high school, it's like a different take on banality or something where no one was out but there was very little open homophobia or anything either. It was mm. all just, there was like a few people that I think are, if I talk to them, still identify as straight who like would be like, oh, I kind of like to be curious about what it'd be like with someone of my own gender. And that was about the only time it ever came up. It was strange. Yeah. So it was like not a overtly oppressive thing in that regard, but it was. Oh, uh, you're lucky. <laughs> well, my high school experience was nothing like I was like in university, I had this conversation a few times. I'm like, isn't it weird how like TV shows and movies prevent, present this entirely unrealistic view of high school that has no resemblance to reality? And they're like, what are you talking about, John? Mm-hmm. My, mine did not have the same structure. <laughs> like my middle school was terrible. It was a horrible experience. Uh, but then when I started grade nine, it was like, it was just very freeing. And I finally had friends, like real friends and all this stuff. I can't say what it was for everyone who went to school with, but at least from my perception, it wasn't bad. But we also like we also didn't have like a jock nerd dichotomy. We didn't. It was a very strange uh. school. There was like children of diplomats and other very wealthy sort of globetrotters because we had the international baccalaureate program there. 
but we also had like a lot of kids on welfare families and stuff and they were all friends mm-hmm. we had a very like anti-school spirit anti-sport vibe <laughs> from the entire school most of the po- all the popular kids actually did well academically and it, w- it was that type of environment it was a very strange thing there was like a most of the school was very like a religious i guess not anti-religious. like it was well and yeah. the thing that one of the things that i often talk about when i'm teaching gender theory or queer theory is how all of that stuff does play into the same kind of gender binaristic thinking so mm-hmm. like it may not on the surface seem like oh you know doing well academically or being in you know having school spirit or anything like that may be relevant but the system of heteronormativity you know weaves its web around all of that stuff yeah. that uh, doesn't need to be gendered and probably shouldn't be gendered and then kind of brings it in so that something like not going to a pep rally or something suddenly becomes a mark of otherness mm. and through some bizarre chain of logic becomes like a commentary on your identity it's it's a very bizarre process yeah <laughs> it's all part of that banal atmosphere or it can be like you had said earlier, none of this needs to be read through the lens of queerness. I'm sure mm-hmm. there are scholar athletes who had a lot of school spirit and maybe derived a lot of dream from no, that. I, I know some <laughs> jockey queer people too. Like it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some very friendly, open-minded cishet people who yeah. play Changeling. Like, mm-hmm. you know, none of these things are exclusive. My point is just that for me, I think because something like Changeling gives you an avenue of exploration that is safe mm-hmm. it's a safe space for playing with gender yeah like if you want to play a character who's a different gender identity than yourself that's i would say generally lower risk than going out in the world and presenting yeah. as as a gender that people would perceive as non oh you know, and, not and i've known people who've explicitly done that through larping too like mm-hmm. yeah because yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. step up yeah. And a lot of that discourse was also present in the early internet, you mm-hmm. know, because people were, for, for better or for worse, people would say, oh, you never know who anybody is on the internet. Now, from <laughs> from a lot of parents, that was delivered as a don't talk with strangers online. But from the yeah. other side, that's a very liberating kind of perspective. Yeah. And the know? whole real names effect right. on people. and Yeah. Real and heavy quotes. Yeah, sorry. The, the, it was the terminology that was going around, I remember. Yes. And is still kind of dominant in a lot of circles. And I just want to... Also on Changeling, I find... Because, like, I have not had great experiences either with exclusively queer spaces. I've had a lot of great experiences with heavily queer spaces, if that makes sense. I can agree with that. <laughs> um, no, I won't, say, I won't say I haven't had good experiences with all queer spaces but i haven't had good experiences with all of those yeah i tick enough buttons that make people go do you belong here in exclusively queer spaces or the way i present myself or i suspect part of that is once you have the exclusively queer space then the human tendency is to look for other ways to categorize and divide people yeah well and it's also i think it is just people just trying to see if i'm like i feel like an imposter a lot like just in general that's just not Mm. i still feel that a bit at work and then so coming to this space where i'm already feeling like an imposter and a few people are actually trying to see if i am an imposter that doesn't feel Mm. great but like i find if you look at kithane society you have this dominant culture of humans right that's kind of banal not all of it's terrible a lot of it's not great though at least for a lot of people and then you have this like sort of hidden fey culture but the fey culture is not like everybody's the same you look at like all the kiths you Mm -hmm. see you look at the courts you look at the houses you look at it feels like the spaces i go into that where i feel i can be open fully right Mm -hmm. you know i mean even though i'm out at work i can't i still have to really watch me myself right but in more personal spaces, I don't have to watch myself the same way. Mm-hmm. That would be what I think of as like Kithane society. And not everybody gets along. There's actual violence around things. Like it's very yeah. argumentative. But like everyone agrees that you're one of us. They just might not like you. And that's what <laughs> Yeah. Even though you're very different, right? And there's there's a sense of mutual preservation in the face of the dangers outside the community. Mm-hmm which I think is really important. Even if you have the most sealy and the most unsealy, 
hopefully they'll still help each other out when the Dantean comes yeah. around the corner. And even if they don't explicitly help each other out, they'll they'll get it. They're both afraid of the same things, right? right? They're the broader culture issues. That, that doesn't yeah. matter how unseely or seely you are, what kith you are, if you have to go work in your job, like your day job, that's not fey, like you're kind of having to hide who you are. So, And I, I do wonder if that's, if looking at the game that way is a product of the times. Like, I don't know if people who grew up after the 90s have the same kind of... And this isn't just sexuality and gender. Like, there's, there's like autism or something like that also fits yeah. in like mental stuff like there's there's all and, and other things too i don't want to i can't imagine a queer space that's extremely neurotypical mm-hmm. like where being neurotypical is the expectation and if you're neurodiverse in any way you don't fit into this queer space i i've never seen those like i won't name names but i can yeah. think of a couple okay <laughs> at the root of it though i think what what we're pointing to is I'm trying to think of how to phrase it a community that is disadvantaged because of their difference and changeling as a game I think extends the message rather than accept that here's a way to find your inner value you mm-hmm. know when so many other people have been kind of trying to smack you down yeah. here's this expression of your inner beautiful liberated yeah. glamorous self I think it was like are you there's a default assumption about people. If you don't fit that default, do you have to come out? <laughs> like, do people assume you fit that default when you don't? Well, it's, I mean... Anything with that, I think, changes. You, you enchant the mortal. Well, enchant the mortal, too. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, it's just because you somebody might fit the default, that doesn't mean they don't also fit in this space. I'm not saying that at all. Right. Uh, and that's the spaces I prefer, because... If I think about the changeling societies I'd want to live in, as opposed to like, oh, this would make fun drama in a role-playing game, you know, I'd want enchanted mortals and Absolutely. low banality mortals who aren't even enchanted and Kinane and everybody to just be fine there. Like that's something I often point to is when I did go to university, the dorm that I lived in, that was a transformative experience for me because it was the queerest place I've ever lived. Mm-hmm. A lot of my best friends who I'm still friends with come from that space. I go back for reunions. You know, it's it's a really important part of my history. But I think what made it a great place to live was that not everybody was queer. Not everybody was American. Not everybody was white. Not everybody. It was that, mm. I hesitate to use the metaphor melting pot. When I was growing up, the term that gets kicked around in Canada instead of melting pot, because we always, Canada likes to say how we're not American. The poutine bowl. Yeah, no, no. It's the <laughs> multicultural mosaic. All right. Yeah, I like that. Like, you are different, and that's okay. But- you're all together and together you form a beautiful thing. So, and exploration is okay. Important. Yeah. I think there's an attention to dynamism, which people need to bear in mind. Like I would get frustrated with people who, if they made out with someone of the same gender at a party and then it was, Oh, that's evidence that they're actually gay. It's like, well, yeah, no, not necessarily. Like it's, it's okay to try things. It's okay to, make your own decisions about your own identity and it's okay yeah. if those aren't fixed in place yeah that, that's actually a thing that came up on our discord when, or, or it, came, it came in some discussion i had where people coming into a queer community usually because they're young but maybe they came out later and like whatever it's all about self-identification you can't mm-hmm. and your self-identification can change and that's okay what does it mean to be gay don't worry about that for anybody but you and you don't even have to worry about it for yourself if you don't want to like it's not don't tell somebody else what they are because that's or what, or what it means to be that thing. What it means to be that thing. Yeah. That's just be you, right? Like it, and let people, if they say there's some, if they say they are, they fit in this category. If they say they have this pronoun, if they say they have this name, if, if, all those things, like just let them be that. That's fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's really going on under the surface. Cause what's really going on the surface is very complicated. And I don't think anybody has a good handle on as a broad overarching for all of humanity question at all right and generally what's going on under the surface is not anyone's business beyond what you choose to extend yeah Yeah. but even i can say for certainly i don't know what's going on under my surface really it's taking a long time and i I, i've talked to enough other people that are like well okay identify this way and then we've like people are very close to and we start talking about things you're like okay that's not quite right because 
the actual explanation is confusing and takes a lot of language and we don't really know but it's definitely not like you're making it up it's just this is hard to understand so yeah and to bring it back to changeling a little bit yeah i do think that fluidity and i'm going to use that term and that performativity because that's also a very popular term in queer theory spaces is something that role-playing games in general and changeling in particular lend themselves mm -hmm. to well because you can change characters you can change courts you can have your character reincarnate as a different kith yeah. and so modeling that exploration i think is a good way to kind of realize if you need to realize that exploration is not scary or it's, it's not necessarily scary it may be intense it may be complicated it may not always be happy but it is an important part of becoming comfortable with yourself Mm -hmm. and should be supported. I mean, you want people around you to be there for you no matter which direction or directions you end up going in and to help you realize what works for you, realize what doesn't work for you and gradually actualize your sense of self. And yeah. I do want games, just like fiction or any other sort of form of media, I want them to be able to teach us something about ourselves. People say things like, oh, sci-fi is meant to be a mirror of our society that like points out certain things i think role-playing games can and should do that so yeah do we want to talk about kinship in relation yes. to this because <laughs> this is a thing where i have probably different views than you but i also have muddled views so anyway why don't you start yeah well and and i think queerness is a good inlet into talking about that because the concept of found family you know the people that you meet by mm -hmm. choice or necessity who are those supportive people if you don't have them in your own immediate family or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of potential there from a story perspective. There's a lot of potential there from an idea perspective. But overall, Changeling is also, I would say, probably the White Wolf game, the World of Darkness game, most focused on community and kinship. It puts it front and center in a way mm -hmm. that no other World of Darkness game does. Werewolf comes close but <laughs> you have issues around. Well, I think it puts it front and center in werewolf, but the way they do it is very different. <laughs> well, you could argue that something like the pack is a really important mm -hmm. social thing to explore in werewolf, but I think it often gets yeah. presented pretty one dimensionally. Yeah. See, what's funny for me is my view of kinship for how it goes for me is actually probably closest to vampire. Oh dear. Not in a way, horrible way. Anyway, let's... <laughs> the, the antagonistic kind? No, or? no, no. But it's... Okay, I have not had the same found family experience that other people have. I know people who have the found family experience. I'm not saying that doesn't it isn't real. But for me, it's like... I find bonds easily forged or easily broken. Hmm. I can understand that. So I, I think of... For me, kinship is kind of like a bond that's independent on how much we like each other. Hmm. I'm not saying we can't like each other. I do get along with my family, right? But if I think about like somebody I was very close friends with, they can suddenly disappear from my life for all sorts of reasons or slowly disappear from my life for all sorts of reasons. And my family doesn't do that. I think it's also difficult sometimes for anyone to see outside their own experience because it is such a key point of mm -hmm. reference. Like, Obviously, if you are born into a family, that's the first and most immediate source of social ties that you experience. And so it becomes this reference point for mm -hmm. all of the other stuff you might encounter, for better or for worse. To the point about easily made and easily broken ties, I also think that's partially a function of things like where you live, what your life circumstances are, etc. And something we maybe... I was about to say we don't really see in Changeling, but I think we actually do, especially in like first edition, is the notion of maybe you're stuck in a small town, like mm -hmm. really stuck. And that found family is the only outlet you have yeah. because you can't just move to the city if you want to, or you can't just leave this group behind for a group that fits you better. You are here with who you're here with and you have to make the most of it. So what you end up doing is finding the people for whom, with whom you can say like, oh, you know, thank the gods I found someone who understands what I'm going through. Yeah, and even then in those situations, you have these 
from my understanding, I did not, I've not lived in a small town. The antagonistic relationships are also extremely durable. Like, yeah, oh, you for can't sure. just avoid the people that don't like each other. You can't just shift jobs and not have to deal with your coworker anymore. You're still going to see them at the store and you're still going to like see them at all sorts of yeah. other institutions and have people in common with them. And I think you and I are both fortunate in that our life experiences have tended, I, I'm assuming for you as well, <laughs> tended yeah. to be in diverse spaces with a lot of connections to other diverse spaces. Yeah. And I think that's more exceptional than maybe either of us wants to well, <laughs> admit. Well, I mean, it depends. Right. If you look at population demographics, a lot of people live in cities now. Well, now they do. Yeah. I mean, and and my whole life they like, have. Like, it's kind of. Yeah. Things are getting more and more connected. I mean, in terms yeah. of people now have more exposure to information about. And the whole life. internet thing. Right. Exactly. Internet's like in this regard, more urban than ur any than like downtown Manhattan, because like, yeah, it's so easily formed, easily broken there. When you look at spaces like, I mean, Tumblr is probably the example par excellence of decentralized communities of people finding each other and connecting with each other without ever even having met. And I mean, the White Wolf forums are like that, too, to an yeah. extent to use the academic term, a community of practice centered around some way of being or activity yeah. in the world. Well, that's actually been all my close community, not, not my kinships, but my close communities are like that community of practice. And I think that in many ways fits into change, what changelings like, especially when you think about like the forgetting and the mists, you could have someone here like somebody in your oath circle can fall to banality, get swept away and you could come across them. They have no idea who you are. Like, that's so... I wanted to also clarify with you, though, because you just distinguished close communities from kinship. And that's interesting yeah. to me because I would probably lump them together. I would say, yeah, the folks I know from going to this community or this space every week or every month or whatever, they are kin. It's an interesting kind of definitional difference. Yeah. For me, I actually have kinship ties with a few people I am not legally or genetically related to in terms of that. Sure. But there's not many of them. And it's like a thing that's distinguished from closeness or a kind of closeness, an emotional closeness. There's like, I have people in my family I don't have, if I sit down and talk to them, it's limited topics of mutual interest. I'm pretty sure, like, out to the, at least out to the level of the siblings and the children of them and whatnot of my mm -hmm. parents, I have a lot of aunts and uncles and mm -hmm. not as many cousins. These are all situations where I'm very confident that if I showed up on their door in a desperate situation, they would take me in and help me and I would help them. Like, there's mm -hmm. a right of hospitality almost. Yeah. That's only there for my community it has it that is more determined by how close we are right now in my yeah. community i think another point of reference for me appropriately probably is the radical fairies because that's a community that i was heavily involved in for a number of years and i'm still kind of connected to and when i think about what you're saying just then about like the right of hospitality for i mean non-blood non-legal kin I think that was something I saw a lot of, like people just opening their homes to each mm -hmm. other as needed, because there were a lot of folks in oh. my local community who were. Are are you? I have a question for you. Are you engaged in that community right now? Unfortunately, COVID really shattered it. Oh, okay. I mean, I still have friends who I talk to and occasionally see within that community, but the the days of the big gatherings are mm. for now at least. Has the right of hospitality endured? I guess is my question. Do you know, there was there was one person in the city who was well known for just like, if you needed a place to stay, come on by, mm -hmm. it's fine. And they have unfortunately left the city. And so I wonder yep. if that aspect is going to fade away. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's my own experience. But I know that can happen to legal families or blood families or whatever you want to call it too. Yeah. So, well, that's kind of my point is that I don't think the ties of kinship are necessarily more or less certain in one case or the other mm. yeah they, we have the narrative that they are we expect that oh blood is blood mm -hmm. and your family will always be there for you but i think in many cases it's other communities who will be there for you more yeah and i've seen a lot of too it's like okay they'll be there for you but you might have to pay a price right yeah that, too. that i've definitely 
in more extended family parts yeah than what i was referring to there like i'm planning oh maybe hopefully next year i could finally go back to denmark and see my family there and i am seeing my family including a lot of people i've never met or ever talked to and don't know their names Mm -hmm. but i know at least from experience of everyone else who i'm closer to who's gone there and people have come from here that is they are still family they are still kids Mm -hmm. so and it's going to be different for everybody for every configuration not to bring us back to our brief, but with Changeling, yeah. again, we have, in addition to the Oath Circles, as you pointed out, there are so many other different types of social tie to explore. You can have like the Oath Circle, you can have the Motley, you can have the Mentor and the Fledgling, you, you have, can the have the court, Kith, you have the Kith, you have the House, you have the... Mm-hmm. So there's so many different permutations to explore in different ways. And that's even before we get into things like Kinane or enchanted mortals or anything like that yeah or or some some of the books actually talk about kin versus kinane Mm -hmm. too and it's like you can have this more extended related to changelings family where yeah dreamers dreamer oh yeah dreamers is another and autumn people i mean (laughs) yeah well there's there's a lot of people dantane thaline yeah these are relationships they're just not happy ones Right. Well, and and changeling again. One of the many things that changeling is about is sussing out which relationships are the healthy ones that endure that you should hold on to and cultivate, and which ones are the ones that are, in some cases, toxic. Literally. Well, and there's questions like what happens when somebody you're tied to goes becomes Dante, either version of Dante. What happens when they yeah fall to banality? What happens if they fall to bedlam? What happens when they switch courts? If you bring in Harbingers of Winter, what happens when they feed on too much dark glamour? Like, there's... Yeah. And I, I would never tell anybody, you have to do this, you have to do that. But mm-hmm. when somebody, for example, has a really poisonous relationship with like a parent or a sibling, and they mm-hmm. feel like no matter how damaging that relationship is, they oh, can't yeah. cut that person off. Oh, I'm not saying you can't. I, I'm saying I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. for the, my people, I'm sort of related to in the traditional sense have not had to like they've been very open and welcoming and good with people being trans they're good with people being queer in other ways no no i just meant i think changeling as a game models that to an extent which is which is yeah. rare i mean you don't see that in D mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> no so. and i mean like i mentioned vampire and it's like this is the toxic relationship game right exactly uh, when i said more like vampire it's like a healthy version of vampire what would that even be Vampire does talk about that. Werewolf talks about that. Changeling definitely talks about that. The other games, maybe Demon, but only in the ways it resembles Changeling. Yeah. Of the World of Darkness, not talking about Chronicles of Darkness or other games. There's other games talking about this too. Nobilis was a game I like that has the Familia as the basic character concept, which is fun. But anyway. There's actually another type of relationship that's important here, and particularly for Changeling, which is the sort of seeming-based one about elders and yeah. fledglings like the grump versus wilder versus childling and i know that yeah. we've briefly before talked about the decoupling of seeming from mortal age in c20 mm-hmm. but i mean as i kind of enter my proper grumpdom and i think about in the old game grumps as like actual elders like people over 25 i felt was always a little bit too low for the cutoff but certainly once you had like i feel like the 29 is where a lot of people I knew would kind yeah, of yeah, go yeah. through a phase transition. So to 30. I think C20 certainly still allows for that possibility, but not yeah. having it encoded into the game. I do kind of wonder about what that changes because yeah. now that I have taught for several years or seen my nibblings, you know, growing up, it is a source of glamour. And I know that you as a parent have talked about that. Yeah. Also, my job is like that too. I, I have a sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Senior mentoring job role is my job is like in the job description. So yeah, that, that's and I think that's all stuff which can be valuable in a changeling game. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually taken mentor as like a background, but yeah, if someone did, if I had a player who did, I would love to play that up. I would love to have that be a relationship that's explored within the game because that has been for me a valuable thing like obviously you know i care deeply for my parents i love my parents my parents have been a formative influence on me there are lots of other elder figures who have too 
Oh, same. And yeah. so there's also an aspect, having grown up queer or closeted in the 90s, there was a narrative of you're going to die young still in the air. And mm. I do think that has kind of mostly, well, at least in some parts of the culture, fallen away. But I don't know why. I think I just missed it. Well, that's good. <laughs> like, there was everybody talking about how bad it used to be in the communities recovering from those wounds. And there are scars. But it was like a thing that had happened in the recent past, not a thing that was happening now. My feeling about it, in part, is that I do kind of feel a little bit robbed of a generation of potential role models, you know? Because, mm. I mean, having come into awareness of my own gender and sexual identity starting in, like, the late 90s, by that point, so many of the figures who were, like, changing the culture and taking it in new directions had passed away. And, yeah. I mean, I don't think one should necessarily make a direct parallel with Changeling in that regard, but there is that mm -hmm. listen to your elders and learn from them because you don't know when they're going to be gone aspect, which is yeah. significant to me. Ooh, post-winter changeling. Yeah, like I mean. Early spring. <laughs> also that. <laughs> no, but that's just like the whole. Are you specifically talking about the AIDS epidemic and not I some am. of the other dying young stuff? Okay, yeah. yeah. I knew a lot of people who didn't die of AIDS, like from that era. So Yeah, well, I've met more now. But I'm talking about yeah. before I had met anybody just in the in the culture, in the media. Like Okay, I think this is a difference where I knew so many queer people growing up. Yeah, I did not. Friends <laughs> so, of my mom. so yeah, that's the difference. Yeah. So I'm like, the media has all kind of weird distorted things. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's just another that's like it's bad. And and again, I think you had an exceptional upbringing in that regard. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the high school plus the parent. Yeah, that I, I was I was in the actual cultures and yeah. not seeing a distorted hollywood lens of them yeah you were very lucky <laughs> well and i think another thing is too is where i live yeah like canada is one step removed from the u.s we're heavily inculcated is that the right word? I, I think you're several steps removed from the <laughs> in a good way in a good direction but no i think in terms of the american culture uh, okay. there's the u.s yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there's canada's like next step away I don't think there's any other place but Canada that isn't in the U.S. that it's in the U.S. culture as strongly. Because of that, I could look at, like, if you see a Hollywood portrayal, I'm like, yeah, that's about the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, they're very limited portrayals, or they used to be. So, yeah. Yeah, like, I would see Kids in the Hall or other queer Canadian things, and, like, some of it, AIDS is still a thing, right? And definitely was a mm -hmm. huge thing. But the stuff I was seeing about queer people from Canada were by queer people. I would also surmise... I don't know if this is exactly the case or not, but I suspect that in that era, Canada probably more quickly came back to rediscovering, oh yeah, these are human beings we're talking about. Yeah. Whereas in the US, you had some truly reprehensible rhetoric that is still around and still very common. I don't know what Brian Mulroney said in the 1980s. We also had a thing in the late 80s where the right wing in Canadian politics absolutely collapsed. And didn't start gaining strength until the late 90s again. So, <laughs> I mean, then they gained a lot of strength. And then we got Stephen Harper. And, and, oh, yeah. And, <laughs> Regardless. Um, yeah, it was a battle, not a war. Let's put it that way. It did sort of at, probably just at the right time. <laughs> he was of the progressive conservative party, which is a name that just makes Americans head spin. But it does make me wonder, given that C20 came out, in 2017 <laughs> yep you know i do wonder if the next generation of fans similarly felt like holy crap the world is burning down around our ears and this is something that is like a ray of light in that time because <laughs> the last yeah. year at least the last several years have been uh not great let's let's talk again in late 2024 to see where we're yeah, I might be uh, recording from a different country at that point. We'll see how it goes. But that it's it is that theme of stick together and survive, and not in like a zombie yeah. apocalypse way, just in an everyday living your life to its fullest yeah. expression kind of way. And I think that's what unifies these two themes in particular. Yeah, and it's it's it, I think the seasonal thing that plays into that too. Like we're talking about winter and spring. Like mm -hmm. one way I think Changeling versus the rest of the world of darkness. When people say, oh, it doesn't fit in the world of darkness, here's a way where it's like a slight dissonance. Winter is not the same as Gehenna. Right. 
or the apocalypse. Like, or so the changelings hope, at least. Yeah, but as a metaphor, if you're calling it winter, right. and if that's actually supposed to be the correct metaphor, that really implies a spring. Absolutely. That the apocalypse, I mean, if you want to look etymologically, maybe, but it doesn't have the same. When you think about how changeling, I don't think it's unreasonable to say it's one of the more hopeful games of the world of darkness changeling and wraith so the two hopeful games yeah and in both cases the strength of that theme correlates directly with the strength of the darkness because like the darker it is the more important hope becomes now things like trigger warnings and sensitive subjects are absolutely a thing but when it comes to the darkness that's present in changeling when you think about nightmares as a concept and how nightmares can be sprung from anything, the nightmares of losing kin, the nightmares of having awful kin, or the nightmare of being punished for one's queerness, they're all extremely powerful and extremely primal. And I would say arguably more terrifying than here comes another chimerical dragon, you know? So not that games need that, but the fact that Changeling allows for that in a very substantive way that directly ties into its metaphysics and its setting I think is a really strong point in its favor. Uh, I would go slightly more. I think having that in your game with the caveat that you have to like modulate it and tailor yes. what it, what the form is and the strength is to the game. People in the game, I'll put people first there. Uh, I think it will improve your game Yeah, if you have it in there. That doesn't mean it's front and center. It can be very off to the side, but it, it at least has to be in the background, I think. It, or at least should be. It'll really improve things if it is, I think. Yeah. And sometimes people include it in their backstory as a way of hashing out things they need to hash out. Yeah. And I'm not a shrink, so I don't want to say this is like, yes, you should do this and you will be psychologically you know, improved by it. But I mean, they do use role-playing and therapy in different ways. So Yeah. I find with role-playing in that regard, exploring a thing you've already gone through is different from exploring a new way or a different take. Or a thing that you want to go through, but aren't sure how. Yeah, but even if it's like a dark thing, maybe exploring my my non-professional at all recommendation would be more exploring a new approach to dealing with that dark Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than what you were able to do. (laughs) One of the sort of discussions that I see come up in queer gaming spaces a lot is how the supernatural aspects impact things like gender or or whatnot in the game so for example people talk about in mage oh you only need life two to make you know alterations to your body so transitioning is a lot more straightforward and only requires life two and i kind of i see things like that that's not the hard part of transition exactly and i'm like i feel like i'm not saying it's not hard by the way i'm just saying it's not the hardest part sorry yeah but that's the thing is that I think it's a disservice to the game to point to it and say like, okay, it's just this easy thing I'm going to do. Because like I said, if I want games to model life, not that I want it to be as difficult to transition or express yourself in a game as it, as it can be in life, but I want it to have weight, you know? Yeah. I think Changeling, because of the way it handles those powers and the fact that their use and what they mean is so embedded in a community mentality. Because if you're a mage, you don't have to be connected to other mages. And if you decide to Mm -hmm. change your body, you can just do it. Yeah, that's all mechanically very straightforward and setting-wise not going to make that big of a mark unless the story demands it. But with if you were to model this with arts instead, and you would need, I guess, metamorphosis or naming plus fey, like... Yeah, you can point to the mechanics, but it's a lot more a lot more nuanced. And I do want to say some of the aspects of naming five when going specifically down this type of road. You need safety tools and you need more than safety tools. Like be super careful, everybody. Everybody really on the same page and communicating well because that is so fraught. Yeah. The implications of naming five. That lets you change switch legacies. That lets you switch courts. Well, you... and and do it to other people too, which is that's, another form of... Yeah, so that's just... Metamorphosis is a bit more straightforward. We should also specify here the difference between sex, which is founded in biology, gender, which is founded in psychology and identity, and orientation, which is founded in 
yeah. some mix of the two, maybe. And also that's an oversimplification. Yeah, so. but this is also a podcast episode. But <laughs> this is also yes, a changeling yes. podcast, so I don't feel the need to like get into the details so much. But yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying, get the spirit of that. Don't get the, don't rule of lawyer that distinction. Yeah, my point is just that life three on its own is only going to do certain things. <laughs> yeah, which was actually covered in a, one of the uh, October Day series. But yeah. It's a whole other so that's uh but it was and it was neat because it was revealed like as a backstory thing later but it all fit so anyway i thought it was a pretty good well handling thing and yeah books do this left and right for sure yeah from the perspective of role-playing games though i think it's a lot um it's not as rare now because now you have a wealth of indie games and queer created mm-hmm. games that do kind of handle these themes directly but within the space of world and, of darkness and i think it's also like if you want to use metamorphosis to change your over appearance or your physical characteristics that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as being trans either like exactly yeah 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 yeah. like all of this is complicated and deep and don't feel like you're stuck in a box with this kind of stuff yeah mechanics are functional yeah and all our definitions are definitely functional (laughs) yeah the bottom line to me though is that theme wise i do see both of these as like core themes to the game and the setting allows for their exploration and the mechanics facilitate their exploration. Not just arts, but also mm-hmm. the things like glamour and banality and, you know, seemings and everything. Do we want to get to listener questions? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of those. Yeah. So Carrie asks, do you feel the she are assimilationist or liberationist? I'm going to assume that the terms as they're being used here, the way that I'm familiar with them being used is talking about queer culture and queer rights assimilationism is the we're just like straight people so you should treat us the same liberationist is we're not like straight people and that's that doesn't matter you should still treat us like human beings so i would say seely she might be more might tend more towards assimilationist and unseely might tend more towards liberationist but that's just my Uh, knee jerk i feel like the she are actually very liberationist but they wouldn't use that word Maybe they're not. very, we are us. We are the she. And that's amazing. And they're more prone, well, at least the Arcadian she are more prone to banality. And even the, I don't think there's any kiths that are assimilationist. And I think the she are extremely not assimilationist, but perhaps. But they're like liberationist in the cis gay sense sometimes. <laughs> but in another sense, though. I think they're very assimilationist from the perspective of we are the leaders of Kithane society and everyone should be part of Kithane society in the way that we say they should. So there's also... Oh, (laughs) yeah, but there's liberationists who are like that. So it's kind of... Maybe liberationist in terms of identity and assimilationist in terms of society. Yeah. I see it as kind of like the cis queer people that are transphobic sometimes is where the she fall in. Mm. If you want to look, map it onto fate society. Mm. Food for thought. Yeah. So Luis Sarmander says, maybe only tangentially related, but I've always understood banality as people denying the identity of changelings. In the increase of banalities, you pay heed to such negativity and come to internalize it. Mm. I think that's a good way of looking at it. It's mm. not necessarily... Uh, there might be ways it doesn't quite fit, but I think it fits pretty well. So. I would say... Yes. However, the banality that people have, like that autumn people would express, it's not necessarily actively about denying the identity of changelings, but that piece of it gets caught up in the other ways that they express it. Well, definitely could be, I think it has to at least be passively. Yeah, passively for sure. Of anything that doesn't fit. It's both about yourself and about others. But you don't only get banality from people saying fairies don't exist, is what I mean. (laughs) no. But you can get banality by saying being a changeling is not simply are you a fairy, yes or no. That's yeah, your yeah, yeah, yeah. Total your identity. Banality is about more than just supernatural oppression. Yes. Yeah. It's about all kinds. Fetch makes the comment in my current campaign, one of the PCs died. His reincarnation, who was already a fae, story in itself, but a generation and seeming younger, inherited his memories, gaining Remembrance 5. It's causing an interesting conflict because the original PC was a straight cis male, while the new incarnation has a much different relationship with gender identity. It creates an interesting internal conflict. I'm letting the player set his own pace in engagement with those themes. That one speaks to my own life, so I mean that 
works for me. And that's only in Changeling can you really have that kind of setup, I feel. Yeah. You know, and it, at the time of this recording, I believe that campaign has now ended, but I hope that it continued to be a, a fruitful and interesting avenue of exploration. Uh, so we have two questions from Ferret. These are both actually better for you. I'll <laughs> ask the questions. <laughs> I should ask them separately, though, I think. But I'll ask sure. Them. Okay. What if any correlation is there between the queer commonality of found family and the forming of Maltleys and Oath Circles? In my own experience, I do think they, they are strongly correlated. Not only the queerness, but, you know, for me, the paganness, the artistness, like there are a lot of things that sort of coexist. It's difficult to say if any of those are more important than the others. So I have two groups of very close friends who all happen to be queer and pagan and creators of kind of different types and degrees. And I, I can't necessarily say that one of those things drove the oath circles over the other. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do think uh, I do think it is strongly correlated for me. Yeah. Motley's, I would say also, like when I think of the radical fairies, I think of that more as my motley than my oath circle because they're people that, yep. yeah, you know, I socialize with and hang out casually with and maybe have close bonds with a couple of them, but not the entire group because it's too large and too diverse. That's my freehold. That's like, <laughs> you know, but yeah. Yeah. I heard the same personal experience, but it doesn't make sense. And the other question is this is something I don't know as much about. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think it would be possible to play a game where the noble houses also representing the house system of queer ballroom culture, or if the ballroom home family system would work in a regular, typical freehold? All I will say, I don't know when this episode exactly is going to drop, but either by the time it drops or hopefully shortly thereafter, one of the projects that I'm working on is Changeling New York City, and we absolutely have a sidebar on the Houses of Harlem. And yes that notion of queer ballroom culture, which if anyone's unfamiliar with, check out Paris is Burning, start there and go from there. Watch Pose, you know, do all of that. Attend an actual ball if you can. I do think that it would work. I first learned about it by a role-playing game podcast talking. It was, uh, was it this one? No, oh, okay. uh, it was, I can't remember the name of it. I haven't listened to it in a while. Anyway, but it was somebody talking about playing an RPG about queer ballroom culture. And I just tried quickly Googling and I can't find anything about it. It's frustrating me. If but, it comes yeah. to you, we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, sounds good. So then Luna and Ramada Vebe says, do you agree with the take that Changeling the Dreaming is the most queer wad game line? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that works. The end. World of Darkness specifically? Absolutely. Yeah. For basically all the reasons we just listened. Yeah. To. I think Changeling and Exalted of mm. the White Wolf created things are like close yeah and i'd probably still give the edge to change like on that one terry robinson asks as time goes by words can often gain specific specificity diversity frequently now refers to a specific set of axes for instance compared to a more generic panoply of variants has the groups within queerness changed over time for changeling for instance a group that really didn't formally exist now that is now within the umbrella and others that largely aren't let me let me open up my queer theory part of my brain here. There certainly have been a number of terms and a number of identity definitions and redefinitions since 1995 when Changeling first came out. Mm -hmm. I would say yes, but it doesn't necessarily matter that much because I don't think, I think the setting is agnostic in terms of the type of queerness or other form of minority distinction mm -hmm. one expresses. And this is something I think I had mentioned before that uh, talking with friend of the show, Charles Siegel, I had mentioned when I read X-Men, I get the same kind of feeling where yeah. I read it and I think, I know that somebody else is reading this and feeling exactly the same amount of, of being seen that I'm feeling, and yet at the same time is contextualizing it in a completely different way from a completely different mm -hmm. set of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Changeling's queer for two reasons or two main reasons I think you've already addressed, but it has queer content, queer characters, queer experiences, queer writers, whatever. It also is a good metaphor for being queer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like everybody who wrote for Changeling and all the characters are all queer and only queer, and that's all their identity is. And it's not like the metaphor only works for being queer. 
So yeah, and I I also I'm not sure what a, disp- uh, a specific set of axes for diversity. I'm like, well, the the rest of the question deals with queerness, so I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terry also asks, does a game lose anything going from having queer compatible themes to being explicitly queer? I'm always curious about games saying this game is about X and someone being turned off by it versus the game simply having that as a theme, but not being explicitly marketed, thus being a different kind of inviting, which I think is like Mm -hmm. exactly what you just responded to. Yeah. And I think the marketing of Changeling, I don't think it was ever marketed as a queer game. Changeling should not market itself like Thirsty Sword Lesbians. (laughs) Those are that's also a great game. The queerness there is different. Changeling, a theme is queerness. It's not the only or the central or... It can be about many things. Yeah. So, But to the point of the question, I do think it might lose something if it became explicitly a queer game. I'd still be very happy to play it, but Mm -hmm. it would lose the opportunity to help folks who have other things that they want to mm-hmm. explore and express. I would lose things that I want that I want to yeah. explore and express if it was just about being queer. Yeah. So. And it's not to say you can't create queer vampire characters or mage characters. I mean, I've, I've done that many times. But if you want mm-hmm. that aspect of the character to be something that can be explored as part of the story, I think those other games are less conducive to yeah. it. I would say Vampire's the second most queer World of Darkness game. But, I can accept that, yeah. But that's just because other stuff, anyway. <laughs> but it's, that's Vampire. It's more of an aesthetic, I would argue, in Vampire, at least the way it's written. Well, you can get to the whole, like, changing the meaning of sexes and stuff, and controversy about Anne Rice. And... Well, right, but it's, I mean, Life 3, Vicissitude 2, you know? I was thinking more like feeding and sexuality, but... Next question from Terry. If there were a C5, what emerging trends do you feel its themes would be adroit at capturing? Ooh, if there were, um, and if they actually did it well, which are two big ifs, I think that kind of like I said before, mobility has become a much bigger question. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much in relation to C20, because C20 is still fairly recent, is still part of the current period that we're in. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that the cut your losses idea would become a lot more prominent because that's kind of the direction I see the fifth edition games moving. Mm. They are very isolating, which kind of runs counter purposes to Changeling. So I think C5 would have to, if it were to, to be in that same mold, C5 uh. would have to be about you really have to you know, stick with your oath circle, stick with the people you can trust and allow everyone else to slip away. I'm not saying that's what I want it to be, but I'm saying that's what I could foresee it being if they keep going in that direction. Can can I also re-present the question from a different angle and get a second answer? Like both answers are good. But how would you see it as the next edition of Change (laughs) One? Well, if I want to be optimistic, (laughs) yeah, I I would say. I mean, it's optimistic to say we'll get a C five. So yeah, let's well be fully optimistic. I mean, in terms of emerging trends, I think what would be really interesting is if changelings in their their fey mean presented more as the gender that that they feel because there is that division between gender identity and gender expression. So when I think about emerging trends in queer theory, that's one that I would point to. And not only that, but the concept of fluidity that as you not only move from seeming to seeming, but also just over time, the appearance of your changeling to other changelings may reflect evolving ideas of their, of their gender identity. I was thinking of other fluid stuff too that might be interesting. I've not fleshed it out because I just thought of it, but um, <laughs> other fluid things besides just how you look too would be interesting to explore, maybe with some mechanics attached or something for changelings. Another, I don't know if it's still emerging, but it's definitely didn't really, I don't think, played a huge role in C20 and was definitely has blown up since the, the second head stuff mm-hmm. would be like ace identity mm-hmm. and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's probably some fertile ground there to yeah, definitely. explore with Changeling. Something I'd forgotten to mention earlier is that as much as I'm talking about these themes in Changeling, they do exist in the inspirations for Changeling as well. So if you look at things mm-hmm. like Lord of the Rings or similar fantasy, or even like Arthuriana, 
there's what people might call homosociality or there's like chaste love or all of those sorts of aspects that we're now kind of reframing and putting in a modern context. So it would be interesting to see those themes kind of taken out of their like medieval epic frame and put into a more immediately um, Mm -hmm. modern person comprehensible. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm also thinking like brought a bit more broadly outside of the queer thing, but I think it still fits under kinship to some degree. Um, The mixed identity, Mm. things like that, like mixed ethnicities, mixed all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot there that I think changeling and you have the Celiots. You already have the building blocks to really explore a lot more there that at least metaphorically. Of course, this is the wishiest of wish lists. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, the chances of us getting the C5 you're afraid of, I feel is low, mostly because I don't think we'll get something called a C5. But yeah, no, I'm not saying we'll never get a changeling, but. Well, and even the C5 that I anticipate or or could envision existing as in the current state of things. Again, I don't think any of what we've talked about in this episode would be impossible to bring in it would just be within a different setting because fundamentally the fifth edition are different settings. I mean, you could do it not so bad along those settings where you talked about where, okay, glamours now died down to the pre-resurgence levels. Mm -hmm. Just do that. And you've got a lot more localized stuff happening. Yeah. So remember the resurgence happened a month after Stonewall. So then, um, we have one final question from Terry, which is how does a more solid notion of queer identity in the world change the tropes and archetypes the games can invoke? I don't think it changes that. It makes it, it could help with, um, say, a player sees something that the storyteller doesn't about Changeling. Maybe mm-hmm. that could help a bit. I'm not sure if what Terry meant here is like within the setting of the game or outside. So if people are playing changeling in a world that has a more solid notion of queer identity, what does that do Mm. to the themes? And I think we tilted at that a little bit talking about the historicity of this or the historical arc of this, Mm -hmm. because it is different to play the game from this perspective 25 years after it came out. That being said, yeah, I, I think that any changes would be minor enough and or flexible enough that it doesn't necessarily have to um shift things yeah i mean queer identity is in a good i've known people lament this and i think it's ultimately a good thing but like becoming more accepted and acceptable and open it's like the average banality of an out queer person would be higher Mm. but that's because there's way more out queer people like i think it's it's important also though i mean so there's queer and then there's queer Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's queer as the umbrella term, but then there's also queer as the consistently boundary pushing identity. And yeah, that I think not that it's a risk. I don't think that's ever going to like Mm -hmm. go out of fashion. It's ties to things like punk identity and whatever. But because, yeah, there are more and more identities that are becoming more and more accepted. It does kind of raise the question of which battles are left to fight. There are still a lot of battles, but... Yeah, and I mean, assuming a continuous progression, which we cannot assume... Right. Because we have seen regressions in a lot of places. It's sort of like, at the limit, would be the boundary pushing for change, progressive, or whatever you want to call it, change, queer society, whatever. At some point, the community within it and the community without gender and sexuality and stuff wouldn't really be different in or out. Yeah. If enough things have changed, it stops being about that. So, but it has still changed to some degree. Like, you know, trans kids out at school now. Like, oh, yeah. No, the kids are great in elementary <laughs> school. Like, that did not happen. Yeah. But I hope that things like that continue to provide avenues for the next generation to explore. And it is the kind of thing which, in certain states, gets pointed to as moral corruption. The hell with that. Yep. Anyway. Games, like anything else, can be a tool for exploring identity and pursuing happiness. This role-playing game fights fascists, right? Yeah. And homophobes, and transphobes, and TERFs, and uh, all of the above. As it should. And I think to some degree it always has, but it's more apparent now. Changely, at least. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah, there are other games that not so much. Anyway. Okay. So yeah, I guess that's that. Yeah. You can find us changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us an email podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. Join our Discord, which is very queer. We're both queer, but you don't have to be queer to join. We're all accepted. Discord.me slash CTP. You can send us a toot at changelingpod at dice.camp. You can also go to our Facebook, Changeling the Podcast. Links to all of the above will be provided in the show notes. As well as a link to maybe the name of that role-playing game if you remember what it is. I'll try. Okay. <laughs> Once again, I'm Josh. I am allegedly Puka. Mary Meet and Mary Part and Mary Tyler Moore. Here at Changeling the Podcast, we stand firmly against all forms of prejudice that dehumanize or disenfranchise people on the basis of their beautiful and diverse identities. We believe in individualized definitions of family and friendship that are created by those who build the ties they share out of mutual appreciation, love, and respect. And as duly appointed representatives of the Parliament of Dreams, we are happy to inform you that who you are is who you are, and the dreaming in its infinite complexity has room for everyone. In case it wasn't clear from the sometimes tangential and rambling thread of this episode, we are proud to support our community, and we hope that you'll consider supporting us in turn by leaving a review of our show on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience or telling your own found family and kin about it. You're also welcome to support us on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Patrons get a shout-out at the end of each episode, and this time we'd like to especially thank Derek, Dorkadas, Jason Vines, Oreo, Ross Caboose, Sandchicker, CJ, and Terry Robinson. Feel free to come hang out on our Discord at www.discord.me ctp to further join the conversation. But regardless, until next time, keep on dreaming.